What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. I hope you're having a fantastic day. Got a load of podcasts for you. Going to go into a little bit of Jonathan Taylor's thumb injury. Going to touch on the NBA in-season tournament, and then we're going to wrap it up with college football head coaching firings and hirings. Can't wait to get into it. As I said, loaded podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. started with the NFL, Jonathan Taylor. So originally I wasn't going to do anything on this, but then I did a whole bunch of prep for my show here in Indianapolis, uh, Tony Katz in the Morning News. If you're in Indy, feel free to check that out. Anyway, did a whole bunch of prep for that, and I was like, you know what? I think it's to use all of it. I want to use all of it. I think it's pretty good. So we're going to throw it in here. Jonathan Taylor is set to have thumb surgery. He's going to return in two to three weeks. After having the surgery, I believe he's having it today in Los Angeles. He could be placed on IR. That's still up in the air. If that happens, he's going to miss at least three weeks, and that means he'd be back eligible to play again against the Falcons on Christmas Eve. So we're looking at a Jonathan Taylor return sometime between like December 20th, or wait, let me do math, between December 17th and December 24th, somewhere in there. My question after the news broke, was when did he hurt his thumb? Like, on what play did this happen? I went back, I watched the 15 carries. I was like, geez, I just, there's no clip of them on the sideline, like, looking at his thumb. He didn't go into, like, a medical tent or anything. He was just kind of hanging out. And so I texted Kevin Bowen, who has a podcast called Kevin's Corner, also hosts a morning sports show here in Indianapolis. And just asked him, like, hey, man, like, when did this happen? Like, what are people saying? Kevin Bowen then responded, said that the injury happened sometime in the second quarter. So I go back, I'm watching the second quarter. Jonathan Taylor's last touch came with 10 minutes and 25 seconds left in the second quarter. So I'm going to assume that that was the play that he got hurt, or maybe that was the play where he realized that his thumb was hurt. That means the Colts had the rest of the second quarter and halftime to evaluate him, and they ruled he was healthy enough to play. Not only did they rule that he was healthy enough to play, they said that he was so healthy that 12 of his 15 carries came after the second quarter. It came after he was hurt. So my question is, if he was able to finish the game and carry the ball 12 times after he hurt his thumb, then why can't he play through this injury? Why can't he do it? I think it's an extremely valid question. Um, Part of that may be that he could play through it, but the Colts are very content with what Mag- with what Zach Moss has given them throughout this season. They're like, hey, we're going to make this push for the playoffs. Jonathan Taylor, we want you to be healthy for when we get there. Zach Moss, as I said, having a really good season. Okay, He was the primary running back when you know Taylor missed the first four weeks of the season. He's averaging 4.8 yards per carry. He's already set a career high in total rushing yards on the season with six games to go. It's it's nice, and I think that a large part of this might be that they want Jonathan Taylor ready for the playoffs if they make the playoffs. It's a fair focus to have, and look, they're scheduled to end the season. It's easier than having a grown man say his ABCs. I mean, it's an absolute cakewalk. Okay, they First, this week, this Sunday, they play at the Titans, who are 4-7 and seven, playing a rookie quarterback. Then they go to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals, who are 5-6 and six and without Joe Burrow. And then they play the Steelers at home. They might be the toughest game left for the Colts. Uh, They're very beatable, though. 
At least that's how it, how it appears right now. We know the offense looked much better last week against the Bengals. But new OC, we'll kind of see how things get adjusted there. Either way, I think that's a very winnable game for the Colts. Following week, they go to Atlanta, who is five and 5-6, playing Desmond Ritter. Let's be honest. Nobody likes the Falcons there, okay? At least I don't I don't like the Falcons there. And then next game, they get the Raiders at home playing a rookie quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. And then they get the Texans at home, 6-5. and five. This is going to be a tough divisional matchup. I think this game has a high probability of getting flexed to, like, a primetime slot, okay? Because this could potentially be a game that decides who goes to the playoffs. Like, we know how good the Texans are. We know how good C.J. Stroud has been this year. There's a decent chance both of these, ta- both of these teams walk into this game sitting at, you know, 9-7, and seven, and the winner goes to the playoffs and the loser stays home. I mean, and if that is the scenario that ends up happening, the Colts will have Jonathan Taylor back by that point, which is ultimately what they want. I think 10 wins gr- definitely grabs that 7 seed in the AFC. And I don't think that the Colts need Jonathan Taylor to do it. Um, am I questioning his toughness and not playing through this injury? Undoubtedly, I am. But at the same time, if the Colts think that it's better for them to make sure that Jonathan Taylor is healthy for the playoffs so they want him to have the surgery now, then hey, I don't blame him. I'm not saying that that's what's happening. That's just the theory because no one has come out, no one has said what is wrong with Jonathan Taylor's thumb. They haven't come out and said, hey, his thumb is broken. They haven't come out and said, hey, his thumb is sprained. It's just he's having thumb surgery. Turn off the lights. We're going to leave you in the dark the rest of the way. We don't know what's going on, which tells me that things are pretty fishy, especially when Jim Ursay, an owner not afraid to tell people what's going on, isn't telling people what's going on. So I'm really curious. I want to know. You know, what all is happening with this thumb? Um, Obviously, you know, he's got the surgery today, so he's definitely going to be out. But it would have been nice to know the rest of the information. Would have been nice to know. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to break down the NBA in-season tournament, kind of give you my progression through it, and then we'll close out the podcast with college football firings and hirings. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. Before I get into the NBA in-season tournament, I want to talk about... The two games that I watched pretty closely last night, didn't watch much else. I watched the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I watched the Houston Rockets take on the Dallas Mavericks. I mainly want to focus on the Timberwolves and the Thunder. So, this is the number one seed in the uh, Western Conference taking on the number two seed in the Western Conference. Both teams, good, young, talented, and first of all, what a game. Back and forth. Close the entire way through. So Anthony Edwards comes out in the third quarter and starts going crazy. He scores the Timberwolves' first 10 points. They cut it down to like a one-possession game. I mean, he was just going at it. Love the way he plays. He plays so hard, so intense, defends, attacks the rim. I mean, just so much fun to watch him play. And speaking of attacking the rim, he attacks the rim. He goes up to finish at the rim. Guy kind of slides in underneath him. I think it was Jalen Williams, the guy from Arkansas, comes over, tries to take a charge. Charge doesn't happen. It's a block. But Anthony Edwards comes down really hard on his hip. So, you know, he likes, you know, just lays there, right? You know, you you can hear the hot mics on the floor. You good, five. You good, you good. You know, and he was not good. He laid on the floor. He didn't get up. And from there, you know, Minnesota Timberwolves training staff comes out. You know, they help him off the floor. He goes, he sits on the bench for a little bit, and eventually he's just like, hey, man, let me go back into the locker room. Like, let's really look at my hip. 
And they're like, okay, yeah, let's go. So they go into the back. He comes back out. Jersey untucked. You know, you can see him kind of shaking his head on the sideline. You kind of get the vibe that he's not playing the rest of the game. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is on an absolute burner. Scoring, getting to the rim at will, getting to his spots, knocking stuff down. Isaiah Joe was shooting the ball pretty decently up to that point. I mean, they looked really good. The, the Thunder did. And so, the entire fourth quarter, really from about like like the six-minute mark in the third quarter through the rest of the game, the Timberwolves don't have Anthony Edwards. And I was like, this game's over. Like, I can flip over. I can turn it off. Whatever. I didn't, thankfully. And you just, it made me love the Timberwolves more than what I already did. Right? Because before this game, the pitch to love the Timberwolves was, hey, like, they're really big. They can match up size-wise with everybody. Anthony Edwards, he's a dog. He can score. Like, this is, like, this is the team. And, you know, that's a very good sales pitch. But then you see the heart of the sales pitch, Anthony Edwards, go out. It's like, what are they going to do now? And they played beautiful basketball. It was so much fun to watch. Okay, it's you know slow mo Kyle Anderson or Mike Conley at the top of the key. They make a move. They take a couple steps toward the basket, kick it to the corner. The, the guy in the corner attacks the closeout, gets to the rim, help side defense comes, swing it to the corner, swing pass to the wing, swing pass. Back up to the top of the key, punk fake, drive to the rim, drop it off for a layup. It was something like that every time down. It was really impressive, just simply beautiful basketball to watch. And a lot of these teams, they struggle, specifically teams like Denver, teams like the Lakers, they struggle when their best player isn't on the floor. And to see the Timberwolves go 18 minutes without their best player on the floor and be able to come back down, I think they were down like five points when, when Anthony Edwards went out. To see them come back from being down against a really good Oklahoma City team, it is something that I will remember three months from now when we're talking about the playoffs and who we like to go on runs. Because it is so important in today's NBA to be able to score when your best player is on the bench. You know, for those 10 minutes a game, like, how are you going to generate offense? And knowing that the Timberwolves, first of all, they also have Carl Anthony Towns, who didn't play very well last night. Knowing that when Cat isn't playing well and Anthony Edwards is on the bench, they can go to this motion offense where they willingly move the ball around to get open looks. It's really nice to know, especially against a team like the Thunder, who have defended pretty decently this year. So, with that being said, let's get to the NBA in-season tournaments. The Elite Eight, or whatever they're calling it, has been set. Uh, I don't have that pulled up. Gosh dang it, I'm dumb. That's okay. Um, the games that I that I can remember um, right now while I'm while I'm pulling this up, I know the Pacers are set to host the the Celtics here in Indianapolis. I know that's coming up. That's going to be on December fourth. I know the Suns are playing the Lakers, and then I'm blanking on the other two games. Let me pull those up here really quick. I'm having to hold my mic with my hand. So I'm only able to type with one hand, which makes things just a little bit more difficult. So, as this is loading, my interest in the NBA in-season tournament has slowly grown. Okay, I got it pulled up. So, Lakers, Suns, Kings, Pelicans, Bucks, Knicks, Pacers, Celtics. Should be a lot of fun. All those games are great. Those games are set to be played on December 4th and December 5th. 
in like the teams markets so, like the Pacers will host the Celtics, the Bucks will host the Knicks, the Lakers will host the Suns, and the Kings will host the Pelicans. And then from there, the Final Four is going to be played in Las Vegas. Championship game on December 9th. Going to be fun. Can't wait. I'm really excited. So, my intrigue in the NBA in-season tournament, has, it has slowly grown over time. So, when they announced the idea, I'm like, okay, like this is interesting. You know, it's supposed to be like the Champions League in Europe, but it's a little bit different because these teams play each other every year, so it's not going to be quite as special. I don't know. I don't really know. But sure enough, you know, I love the NBA. Got League Pass. I'm watching all the time, it feels like. It's great. I love it. And I'm like, oh, like these courts, like they're kind of cool. The jerseys, those are kind of cool, you know. Let's see if these guys actually play hard. And they did. They actually played hard. They went out. They played defense. I love what Tyrese Halliburton said. He's like, I've never won anything. This is an opportunity for me to win something in the NBA. And, you know, that's outside of the $500,000. That's a pride thing. And when NBA players are playing because they're pride and because they actually want to and not just for money, then the games are even better. And that is what we have seen through this NBA in-season tournament. So I was like, okay, like, games competitive, games in November, they matter. That's cool. I like this. This is enjoyable basketball for me to watch. And then, last night, the best thing ever happened. So one of my favorite things about this NBA in-season tournament is the fact that point differential matters. And there needs to be some tweaks with this, I think, and because we're going to get into the Celtics and the Bulls game. Joe Mazzulla is out here telling his players to hack DeAndre Drummond to make him shoot free throws while they're up by 30. While they're up 30. So that they can they can grab the number three seed in in the in the tournament. It's fantastic. I love this. Because the NBA is the most personal league in the world. Okay? It is the only sport where players play offense and defense, and they're often matched up against the same person on both sides of the floor, right? So if you're guarding me and you score on me, I then have an opportunity to come right back at you. It is also the only major sport here in the United States where every team plays every team multiple times. And so the Celtics are running it up on the Bulls to a point where Billy Donovan is talking to Joe Mazzulla like, hey, man, like, what are you doing? You guys are up 30. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And Missoula's like, look, man, like this is proceeding, you know, and you just kind of got to get over it. And, you know, the Bulls are going to be fired up to play Boston next time. Or at least you hope so. The Bulls, they kind of suck. They all look like they want to go home anyway. But that's that's beside the point. I love that this happened. I just I think that the one tweak I would make to this first season is everybody plays their final in-season tournament game on the same day because the Celtics had a very big advantage here because they knew how many points they needed to win by to overcome the Magic, who, you know, if their point differential had been higher, they then would have been the three seed. That's the one change that I would make. Outside of that, though, I think the product's been good. This is, like, one and done now, which I think is going to make this even better. Like, that's the thing. Like, the group stage wasn't even supposed to be the entertaining part of this, and yet it was still really, really fun to watch. And... Yeah, I just, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. I'm excited for December 4th and 5th to watch these games and just how intense they are. Can't wait for it. Last thing I want to close out with, something else. Just a lot of really good basketball last night, a lot of good storylines. I want to hit on the Golden State Warriors really quickly before we get to the college football stuff. 
they aren't very good. And I think that slowly over time, we have seen the NBA move away from what the Warriors do. The NBA has gotten really, really big. And the Warriors simply don't have the size to match up with these teams. On top of that, Andrew Wiggins has been a disappointment this season. And Klay Thompson just isn't what he was. And to make matters worse, when Moses Moody is on a burner, he's 4 for 4. Steve Kerr's like, all right, you're going to play, you know, 13 minutes and then you're done, even though you're clearly shooting shooting the ball really well and we're playing the Kings, so we know we're going to have to score a lot. I mean, you know, it's it definitely looks like it's the end of the Golden State Warriors. Part of that being coaching, part of that being guys getting gold, and part of that being just the immaturity from Draymond Green. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on in San Francisco that don't look too, too great. With that being said, we're going to take a short break. When I come back, we're going to get into college football head coach Hirings and firings. Can't wait to get into it. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt, wrapping it up here, final segment. College football, football, hirings, and firings. So let's start with the three Power 5 jobs that are still open, still available. These are ordered from the best job available to the worst job available. These are just the Power 5 openings. Obviously, there's like some group of six openings as well. So, Houston, this is the best job available, okay? If someone can put a fence up around Houston and retain the best players from the largest city in Texas, they can build a winner there. That is what Tom Herman did, and he won a lot of games. Now, obviously, you're competing in the Big 12 as opposed to, you know, the American Conference, right? Major difference there. But, but, Houston, a lot of talent there. You can build a winner there. You can do it. Not hard. Uh, next, Indiana. Second best job available. Like I said, there's only three jobs available. Indiana, not a good job, even though it's the second best one available. The state simply isn't big enough and doesn't produce enough talent for both Purdue and IU to recruit in the same state. And the other thing, too, is Columbus, Ohio, home of the Ohio State Buckeyes, is two hours away. So the best talent in the state and in the Midwest usually ends up in Columbus. So it's really hard to recruit. There is no history. It is a basketball school. Really hard to go and win at a basketball school because the funding just not there. It's just not the same. You don't get the same buy-in from the fans, which makes it harder to recruit. And then, as I said, guys end up in Columbus, Ohio. Finally, Duke. I think Duke is a really hard one not to explain, but it's like Jonathan, Mike Elko just won games there. Obviously, you know, he left, uh, which I think speaks to how hard of a job it is. But this is another basketball school in North Carolina that doesn't produce enough talent for North Carolina, Duke, and Wake Forest to all recruit at a high level. On top of that, you got Clemson, which isn't too, too far south, pulling more of the talent out of the region. And so really hard place to recruit basketball school, hard to get transfers because of the academic standard. That's, I think, the biggest thing that makes Duke such a tough job and what makes what Mike Elko did there all the more impressive. So, those are the three jobs remaining. Let's get into the Power 5 jobs that have been filled. And we're going to not rank them, but I'm going to kind of give you a brief rundown on all of them. So, let's start at Northwestern. David Braun replaces Pat, Pat Fitzgerald. He's the interim all year. You know, they won seven games, right? Major, major improvement. Good job, David. Good job, Northwestern. Maybe you've got a good coach. We'll see. Jonathan Smith replaces Mel Tucker at Michigan State. 
I think this is the best hire. It's it's the best hire. I'm just going to say it. Jonathan Smith is an outstanding coach who graduated from Oregon State. The fact that he left isn't surprising because Oregon State isn't part of a Power 5 conference. You know, if Oregon State had been fortunate enough to get picked up by, you know, the Big 12 or the SEC or whoever, I think he stays. But since he didn't, Michigan State, they get to snatch him up. Much better coach than Mel Tucker was. Um, Michigan State was really quick to offer Mel Tucker an extension. He had one good year, and they're like, "Here, have all of this money." And then they lucked out. You know, he you know had his scandal thing, uh, doing not good things with women or a woman. I don't know the whole story. Let's just let's just get pa- let's just get past that. Anyway, Michigan State they don't have to pay Mel Tucker a big buyout. They get to hire Jonathan Smith. Very fortunate program. Jonathan Smith is going to turn that place around. He's that good of a coach. Next, Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy ends up at Mississippi State, former Ole Miss offensive coordinator, was the Oklahoma offensive coordinator this year. Dude knows how to coach the offensive side of the ball. Mississippi State is going to score points. I mean, Jeff Levy, he can flat out coach. He knows the SEC. Um, Fantastic hire, I think, by Mississippi State. He's going to be able to turn that program around. Where they're at least winning, you know, eight games a year. Where they're at least competitive in the SEC West. Next, Mike Elko returns to Texas A&M to replace Mark Stoops, who replaced Jimbo Fisher. This is the hiring I really kind of want to hammer in on. So Mike Elko, former Duke coach, as mentioned earlier, he ends up, as I just said, at Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher, you know, paid $76 million to not coach there anymore. Pretty insane. So originally, Texas A&M was like, who do we want to hire? And it was probably Jonathan Smith. I guess he didn't want the job. Whatever. So they're like, Mark Stoops. Okay, this is a guy who went to Kentucky and made them a winner. Made him a winner. Okay, won like two games his first year there. Has multiple 10-win seasons at Kentucky. Do you know how hard it is to win 10 football games at Kentucky? Do you know how hard it is to turn around a program that loves basketball more than football? It's just exactly what Mark Stoops did. And I think it was a great hire by Texas A&M originally. The fans, though, they, they didn't like it. So they go out and they hire Mike Elko, who, you know, was okay at Duke. You know, 16-9 at Duke. Whatever, I guess. Like, that's good. Don't think it's great, especially in a much weaker ACC than Mark Stoops coaching in the SEC. I have a really hard time believing that Mike Elko is a better hire than Mark Stoops. I don't like it. I guess time will tell. Uh, Mike Elko, defensive-minded guy, so was Mark Stoops. But we'll, I guess we'll end up seeing what happens. I, as a, if if I was an A&M fan, I would have preferred to have seen them hire Mark Stoops. So as a non-A&M fan, very, very glad that they opted with the lesser Mike Elko. Next, Syracuse. They, re- they replace, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, call him Dino Babbers, Dino Babers, whatever his name is. They replace him with Georgia defensive back coach, Fran Brown. This feels like a you're at a winning program. Let's let's see what you got. Come on. So Fran Brown's supposed to be one of the better recruiters in the country. He replaces Dino Babbers at Syracuse. And then Jonathan Smith, who I mentioned earlier, leaving Oregon State, winds up coaching at Michigan State. He's in East Lansing. And he's being replaced by the Oregon State defensive coordinator, Trent Bay. Trent Bray, excuse me. He is now the head coach of the Oregon State Beavers. And finally, 
as a fan, I usually don't talk about this kind of stuff. No, that's not true. I usually don't talk about offensive coordinator hirings. But this is my favorite team. I try really hard not to talk about my favorite teams unless they really truly are in the news. But I have to. I have to do this. I have to do this. The you know, 10-year-old boy, the 10-year-old Jonathan would be so disappointed in me if I didn't talk about this. Bobby Petrino is returning to the University of Arkansas to be the offensive coordinator. I am so stoked. You don't know who Bobby Petrino is, which I highly doubt. He's one of the best offensive minds in college football. When Arkansas was a team that could win 10 games a year, he was the head coach. We're talking 2009 to 2012, that whole kind of area. Highly explosive offense. Ryan Mallett, 6'7", gunslinging quarterback. Standing back in shotgun, letting it rip to Joe Adams and Greg Childs and all these dudes. Highly explosive offense that can put up points. That's what they can do. And look, Arkansas had very high expectations this year. The fans did at least. We're thinking eight, nine wins. That's that's who we're gonna be. It's KJ Jefferson, year five. Like, let's go. Let's let's see what we've got. And then they went four and eight. And the new offensive coordinator, Danny Nose, not great. So, they're bringing in Bobby. I'm really excited, okay? Really excited. This is exactly what the program needed. They needed a splash hire at the offensive coordinator spot. And Bobby Petrino is 100% that. So, thank you for listening to me talk about my favorite team for two minutes. I really appreciate it. That's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the podcast. Going to be back again on Friday with another podcast for you. Going to be preview. It's going to be a lot of college football, right? Uh, the conference championship games are quickly approaching Friday night. That's our first one. Pac-12, Oregon, Washington. Going to be a great game. Can't wait for it. And then obviously NFL on Sunday, all that kind of stuff. Um, really quickly, Cowboys play the Seahawks tomorrow night. Really excited to watch that. We'll probably talk about that a little bit on Friday as well. Thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you again on Friday. Oh,